0: What's your favourite food at Christmas, like at Christmas dinner?
1: Trifle. Trifle.
0: Yeah. Do you put alcohol in the trifle? No. Yeah. I prefer trifle without, that's because I don't drink.
1: <laughs> My trifle is very unlike traditional trifle. Okay. Though. What goes in your trifle? So it's like ooh, a gluten-free sponge. Yeah. So you do, break up the sponge, then peaches, peach slices yep. and some peach juice, homemade caramel. Oh, yes. Um, custard, macadamia nuts. Uh-huh. And then all of that again. Okay, two layers. Two layers. No Um, cream. Oh, okay. Interesting. Only the custard. And no jelly.
0: Do you buy the gluten-free sponge or do you make it? My mum makes it. Oh, that's nice. So she
1: makes a sponge and gives it to me to construct the trifle. Oh, great. Yeah. I've made two this Christmas, two trifles. Yeah. Excellent. It's so good. What's your favourite Christmas food? Oh, um, I
0: just love gravy on everything. So like.
1: (laughs) You're such a basic bitch. Of fame. do you like how i just like i had to like put on an acting face to do that
0: <laughs> you're just not that happy no no, that's Hello. okay. How are you? Good. How are you?
1: Very well. Ruth, I'd like to welcome you to My Favourite Musical, the podcast. Thank you. Mm, I'd like name- to
0: welcome our listeners.
1: Oh, here we go. You're such a brown nose. I am. <laughs> uh, hi, everyone. Welcome to My Favourite Musical. That's Ruth. That's Josephine. Yes, we are your hosts. And this is episode 36.
0: It is. And this podcast is us talking to you about musicals that we like.
1: Yep. That's it. That's what we do. Yeah. We start off with any apologies, Ruth. Over to you. None. Really? None. Okay, me neither. Cool. Yeah, yes. Do
0: you have a spotlight this
1: week? I do. Excellent. Actually, mine's a little different. Ooh. Yeah, I want to talk about some environmental issues. Oh, yeah, love it. Okay, so I want to talk about the initiative called Greening the Wharf. Yes. Sydney Theatre Company's initiative. So for our international listeners, Sydney Theatre Company is sort of, well, I would say our premier, like, um, theatre company in Sydney of, you know, plays. Yeah. They do do some musicals, but – the current artistic director is... Um, Kip Williams. Kip Williams, who's an excellent young, like, director. It's, um, yeah, it's just a really great theatre company. And a couple of years ago, so in 2007, they launched this project aimed to transform the area that they inhabit, which is a heritage-listed sort of um, series of buildings on a wharf near the city of sydney like right near the cbd yeah um yes exactly so so they decided in 2007 to transform that area into a leader in sustainability in theater which when you dig into it is sort of a non-existent thing absolutely theaters are not sustainable so this is a really cool project so um sydney theater company put 1,906 solar panels on the roof of their various buildings which powers lights, ventilation, air conditioning, production machinery, office spaces, rehearsal rooms and theatres because they have more than one sort of theatre space. How many did you say? 1,906. That's insane. It's a lot. I think we have 12 on our house. Yeah. It's a lot. It's so many. They also installed a 100,000-litre um, rainwater harvesting system, mm. which captures 80% of the rainwater that falls on the roof of the building. Yeah. Um As of a report in 2017, so they do sort of environmental reports each year. They haven't done one in a couple of years. So 2017 is the most recent. Um, The grid energy consumption of Sydney Theatre Company was down 47.8%. Greenhouse gas emissions were down 51%. Water usage was down 86.3%. And the equivalent of two garbage trucks of rubbish were diverted from landfill. Wow. So it's actually a really interesting consideration and it's one that I talk about with my students a lot, the sustainability like in the yeah. environmental cost of theatre. Yep. Because it's it's sort of something we don't ever think of but yeah. we're a huge user of energy. Yep. And, and we're not particularly um, sort of into recycling. No. So I know like Sydney Theatre Company have got a thing where they sort of recycle sets and, and things like that or use – We'll try to, you know, recycle use recycled materials. And of
0: course part of that is having the storage. money and the storage <coughs> to do so, right? That's right. You yeah. know? Yeah. So it's
1: just it's just worth a think. I'm hoping that we'll see a lot more in this space, but unfortunately there there are not a whole number of no. leaders in and this I area. Think they got
0: a lot of funding to do, they it, right? Yeah. They did, yeah. yeah. And so
1: it's been quite a long project. I know at the moment they're I think they're doing up. Like there's a bit of a renovation happening. Yeah, so they've
0: been out of the war for I think two years now. Yeah. And um, That's right. I believe that's should have complete soon yeah
1: yeah so it's just interesting because like there's an assignment that i set for my kids in entertainment where they have to like research sort of a sustainable approach to theater and it's really hard to find yeah like there's only a couple that they trot out the same ones over and over because Mm. that's really all there is in the world so i'd love to see us maybe be a bit more environmentally friendly yeah moving into the future
0: absolutely yeah what's your spotlight well today i'm going to talk about a, a, a musical a show great it's called soft power Have you come across that? Oh, yes, I have.
1: This sounds very familiar. Yeah. So um,
0: it was on at the Public Theatre in um, September to November 2019, like off Broadway, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's got – it's a really fascinating show i wish i'd seen it um but basically so book and lyrics by david henry huang who's a playwright i think he wrote the book of aida aida did we talk about him in the aida episodes i'm pretty sure he did but also he wrote the very famous play and butterfly um mm. you know that's based on madame butterfly, madame butterfly yeah. um that sort of thing a fantastic playwright um and music and additional lyrics by janine tesori nice. who have we done a janine tesori show
1: oh i think so yeah um I don't know that we have. We've talked about her. We've definitely talked I about thinking? her. so, like,
0: thoroughly modern Millie, Fun Home. Was she not involved
1: in um, Violet in Little Women at all? Was she like one of the?
0: No, no, I don't think so. Not like, uh, don't think so. Yeah, okay. But anyway, um, anyway, she's an amazing composer. Yeah. I'm amazed that we haven't done one of her shows. Anyway, um, so David Henry Huang describes it as a King and I, but from China's point of view. Oh, nice. So in the way that. Um, you know, it's like that's like a Western idea of, um, yeah. you know, other other cultures. It's really just this like, is written as I like know, a, a Chinese idea of Western cultures, kind nice. of thing. So they also describe it as a play with a musical. That's how they've sort of described because the, they of those lately. they put on a musical like in the show, right? Yeah, cool. So essentially, the storyline is that it is a. A fever dream. So, like in real life, <laughs> David Henry Huang was actually stabbed on a New York street a few years ago and almost died. Oh shit! And um, and it, it, that they actually use that as sort of the basis of this show and this and the playwright. So there's an actual character called David Henry Huang, and he has a fever dream in which a Chinese businessman Zui Zing um is traveling to America for work, where he meets and becomes close to Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah. Um, and basically, ma- many of the details about America in the show are as hilariously inexact as most Western stories set in Asia. Oh, and they're also. I um, love that. So it examines like the nature of democracy, cultural identity, appropriation and racism and in particular most of the white roles are played by Asian actors in white face and incorrect accents
1: yeah.
0: sort of turning on its head and he sees that as a reversal of the movie version of The King and I in particular. Um, so, yes, yeah, so as I said, it played off Broadway at the public theatre. It, it's been nominated for the 2020 Grammy Award for Best Musical Theatre Album which hasn't, the winners haven't been announced yet so technically it could still win mm. and I'm going to link to the cast recording on Spotify. It's really worth a listen it's actually because janitori writes quite if you will like traditional american music theater so it's really got that voice to it but with some super interesting themes and just a a lot of the reviews i read said that it wasn't probably finished yet like it still needed time to explore this incredibly complex idea that it was going for Um, but that it it was a really interesting idea Um, but yeah soft power give it a listen read about it it's, uh, oh, I, I thought, um, I don't know if you knew what soft power, what that term no, means. What's
1: that so it to? refers
0: to the way a government is able to persuade without force. So, like, force is hard power, war is hard power. Yeah. Um, or, you know, like, it's not like overt coercion, right? So yeah. instead, it's things like, uh, so, K-pop, right? As an example of like oh, yeah. cultural influences throughout the world, is a way that you can exert control, like power over other countries and mm. and whatever, like giving a positive, yeah, yeah,
1: okay, yeah.
0: So it refers That's to that. Cool.
1: I'd never actually considered that. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah. So cultural interesting. influence. Without- yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. Wow. And like positive news stories and all those sorts of things. Huh. Yeah. Mm.
1: I love it. Indeed. Thanks for that. What's
0: our theatre explained for the week?
1: I think we're talking about the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. We are.
0: So what have we done? We've done the Tonys and we've done the Olivier's. Yeah.
1: So now we're moving on to this amazing... A
0: very esteemed prize. Quite. Especially if you're a musical.
1: Oh yeah. yeah, like that's pretty rare. Yeah. So the Pulitzer Prize for Drama is one of seven American Pulitzer Prizes that are awarded annually, um, recognizing a theatrical work that has been staged that year. Now, when I say annually, it's actually not awarded every year if there's not sort of like yeah, they, a they,
0: deserving. If they don't think there's one, they don't yeah, get it. I
1: actually love that. Like I love the hot, the arrogance of the of whoever the judges being like, no. And Not no, this year. <laughs> and it um, has to be staged in the US, in the That's United right. States. Yes, yeah. so it's got to be American and yeah. within that year. Generally, it's a calendar year but sometimes it's sort of the dates are changed to like the Broadway sort of fit season. the Broadway season, so yeah. March to March. I think it's or, gone
0: back to the calendar year, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's only every
1: sort of now and then they change it for some weird yeah. reason. Yeah. But um, so the first musical to be awarded this prize was South Pacific.
0: I thought it was Of The I Sing. Oh,
1: I don't I have pr- that.
0: Oh, Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's of the I Sing.
1: Really? Yeah. Look at us having by different the Gershmans.
0: I know. This right, is What you, happens when we you research keep the same? Well, and so I, I will... thought I would mention that it's so it's named um, for Joseph. The Pulitzer Prizes are named for Joseph Pulitzer, who of course was a um, famous newspaper magnate. And of, uh, for our musical theater nerds in the audience, uh, they would have known the name from the musical newsies mm-hmm. when they refer to Pulitzer. That's who they're referring to in that. Um, so it was part of. It was part of the awards were part of his endowment to the. Columbia University in setting up a school of journalism and so like a lot of the awards that are given out are for that that sort of writing so when Josephine mentioned that there are seven, so drama is in the letters, music and drama ca- section and letters basically means books. So there's one given for music and then there's six categories for, for letters and drama, which is drama, general non-fiction, fiction, history, poetry, biography or autobiography and then, yeah, drama as we said.
1: You are absolutely right about Of the I Sing and the reason why it didn't sort of come up in my... Research is because of the ice singers from 1931, yeah, which is sort of before the musical that's as we right. know it. So it, it it's more like a vaudeville, like it's not. It's a, more like
0: a review, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, more
1: like a review. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So in
0: fact, what's really interesting about that is that like the idea that a musical could win the Pulitzer yeah. Prize was so sort so of foreign. crazy at the yeah. time that when Of the I Sing was honored, the award was only given to the book writers. Yes, um, not even to um, George S. Kaufman of the... and, and Maury Riskind and lyricist Ira Gershwin. And eventually it was decided to include George yeah. Gershwin as the composer yeah. and all future composers of Pulitzer winning musicals. Yeah,
1: it's very interesting. I mean, even now there aren't that many musicals. So since then Here are the musicals that have been awarded the prize. We've got Fiorello... How to Succeed in Business, A Chorus Line, Sunday in the Park with George, Rent, Next to Normal, Hamilton and A Strange Loop yeah. recently. It's not that many. No, it's
0: – I. yeah, it's very few. Very few. Uh, only ten. So um, what I thought was really interesting is that Michael Bennett is the only non-writer, non-composer to receive a Pulitzer Prize for drama and that's because he's – For A his, Line. Yeah, yeah, for A Chorus Line. That's because his direction and choreography was considered so intrinsic yeah. to the text of the show yeah. that he was named along with everyone else.
1: But as we discussed in that episode, like he was – he was instrumental in yeah. the entire like creation of the piece yeah. so yeah and then i, don't I think you... a chorus line too was like the most people who got that award because it was oh, like such a big group such a big group so it was like hamlish and bennett and like, yeah. like there was like six of them i think yeah. who got that well because award. There's, there's a
0: few book writers of a chorus line there as are. Well, like, well
1: yeah um yeah, Cle- yeah edward Cleban, james
0: kirkwood jr and nicholas dante that's right yeah. so they
1: all got that award yeah plus the um plus the Lyricists and, yeah.
0: And I don't know if you read much about the way that it's actually kind of decided. Yeah,
1: it's a bit, mm.
0: Yeah, so it's like it's a jury (sighs) consisting of one academic and four critics. They collectively submit their agreed preferences to an advisory board made up of Columbia University trustees. But don't the
1: advisory board have...
0: Who make the final decision, yes. And they
1: have, like, veto power. That's right. So, for example,
0: sometimes the board go against the jury's yeah, choice. like they just
1: disagree. For one thing, like, I think Next
0: to Normal wasn't even on the shortlist that was given to them. Yeah. And then the in other years – The was just like, bam. We talked about it in the How to Succeed episode. But in other years, like, Guys and Dolls was the um, – was the jury's choice and they declined not to give one that year because of Abe Burroughs being questioned by the House of Un-American Activities Committee. So, yeah, yeah, so, like, they don't have to go with it. And I thought it was interesting that while the award can go to any American author, Mm. it's preferred that the play chosen be original in source and one that deals with some aspect of American life.
1: See, I thought that was the main reason why Guys and Dolls didn't didn't get the award because it's not original. Like it's based on a novel, right? I thought that was part of the reason oh, too. Okay. Like it's not an original story. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah, but then why know. would How to Succeed win? Exactly. But yeah. Well, yeah,
0: that's true. And I mean, yeah, define original, right? Well, yeah. Yeah.
1: Everything is derivative.
0: Exactly. I find it very interesting. Oh, and um, Sunday in the Park with George and Next to Normal are the only musicals that won the Pulitzer Prize and did not win the Tony Award for Best Musical. Yeah. Mm. A
1: proper fucking disgrace. (laughs) Sunday in the Park with
0: George. Do you know what won the the year that Next to Normal didn't win?
1: What was that? 2013? 2010. 2010. Mm. Oh. Is it something shit?
0: It's Billy Elliot. You don't like Billy Elliot, so you'll agree with that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. Yes. That's that's good. That's been Theatre Explained. Thanks, everyone. Mm. Do you have a recommendation? I do. Tell us. Okay, I've got a couple. Firstly. You always do.
0: I like having two. Okay. Firstly, this was inspired by your recommendation of last week about Sweet Leslie Odom Jr. Delicious. I'm linking
1: to a clip. Did you watch that Tiny Desk concert? I have
0: not yet, but I will.
1: You're a bad friend. Also,
0: like, we only recorded that episode not very long ago. A couple of days. Yeah. (laughs) So you haven't given me long. It's not even a full week. It's
1: been tight. Yeah.
0: Um, so this clip is from the, uh, what, like literally one of my favourite podcasts, This American Life. Mm-hmm. It's from October 20, 2016, so pre the US election in 2016. And they asked Sarah Brellis, who of course we love, wrote Waitress, pop star, to imagine what was going through um, president barack obama's head at the time mm. and she wrote this song and leslie odom jr performs it as obama and it is it's excellent it's so good yeah it's so good um so i'm gonna link to that it's a video um and the other one is that some people might be aware that nbc did a one night only best of broadway concert yeah um, a few weeks ago it is still on youtube at the moment um but i got the feeling it wasn't like a
1: permanent thing it, well
0: it wasn't like NBC hadn't posted it kind of thing. So I won't link to the whole concert, but I what I will link to is specifically Lauren Patton doing You Ought to Know from Jagged Little Pill. Uh because He's that performance that. because that performance got a standing ovation, like every performance. Yeah. And she sings it incredibly yeah. and it's worth watching. But also seek out the whole concert if you can.
1: Great. That's yeah. a good one. Uh, my recommendations, I'm sure we've all seen it by now, but the 2020 2020, The Musical with Jimmy Fallon and oh, yes. Andrew Reynolds, it's quite funny.
0: Yeah, it's fine. It's I don't fine. like parodies.
1: Like, if you like that sort of thing, yeah. off you go. They
0: they rewrite the lyrics of famous musical theatre songs yeah, to talk about 2020. And it's just, 2020. just
1: like self-indulgent as you imagine it is. But yeah. yeah. All of the people in my life who aren't musical theatre people have like tagged me in it. I know. So Isn't like, that a,
0: do you not find that so aggravating? Incredibly
1: <laughs> aggravating, but like it's cute. you like. Like this, you no, saw something with a musical no. in the title. So, <laughs> mm. um, I know we've mentioned it before as well, but I'm not sure for how much longer it will be on YouTube. Um, it's Tangled the Musical that's staged for Disney oh, yeah. Cruise Lines, so it's been on, on YouTube for a couple of months now. Yeah, god, I
0: recommended that ages yeah, ago. Yeah, so
1: I know we've recommended it, but I just feel like if you haven't gotten on there yet, I don't think it'll be on there forever. Right. Like, it's the entire thing, yeah. Um, it's it's pretty short, it's only like an, an hour, hour, yeah. I think spot on. It's really great length like, for viewing, it's super cute. I liked the film, so I also really liked the stage version, and yeah, just watch the whole thing before uh, it disappears. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Should we talk about some shows? Let's.
1: I'm going to go first. Do it, mm. Ruth. I'm going to tell you about. She loves me. Yay! Yay!
0: Oh I my really god! Like it's the
1: You've Got Mail musical. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you like that film?
0: um it's interesting so i remember thinking it was fine when i was younger but i've read a bit of discourse recently around it and how he just basically is like gaslighting her the entire time yes yeah so the
1: film is like
0: maybe not worth a rewatch
1: it's like a poor representation of what this musical is i think
0: is it actually based on the same yeah oh yeah. Oh, I didn't realise that. Oh, didn't
1: you? No. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that – yeah.
0: I thought you were just being like comparing it to You've Got Mail. No,
1: it's based on on this. So, well, i tell you. It's based
0: on the mu- – okay, tell me.
1: <clears throat> I – very strangely came to know this musical after seeing you've got mail. So I like researched the film, like as I do with everything that I look at or whatever. And I was like,
0: Oh, read the Wikipedia article. This has come
1: from something. And so I was like, Oh, it's come from a musical. What the hell? And that's how I found. She loves me. Um, of course, finding out that there was a musical that inspired a film is pretty yeah. cool. So technically it was actually a play first, then a film, then the musical that we know, and then You've Got Mail. Right. So it was quite a trajectory. So She Loves Me is a book musical with book by Joe Masteroff, who you may remember from The Book of Cabaret, when oh, we did yes. the Cabaret yep. episode. Um, lyrics by Sheldon Harnick and music by Jerry Bock. You may also remember Bock and Harnick from such tiny little musical as Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> It was the third adaptation of the Hungarian play Perfumery by Miklos Laszlo.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. It's
1: the third adaptation. Like so, so popular. Yeah. Why so popular? Uh, plot. Here's the Wikipedia like in a sentence version and then I'll give you the longer version. The plot revolves around Budapest shop employees, George Novak and Amalia Balash who, despite being consistently at odds with each other at work, aren't aware that each other is the other's secret pen pal met through Lonely Hearts ads. Yes. Here's the longer version. Um, It's set in a Hungarian perfumery, pretty much like a cosmetic store, um, in the 1930s. There's actually nothing particularly 1930s about the musical, except that there is no sign of war or the USSR, like... In fact, there's actually, apart from oh. the names of the people, there's not really much that indicates you're in Hungary no, at all. No, I agree. When I said that to Shane last night because we were watching it, he was like, it's it where? I'm like, yeah, this is in Hungary. Yeah. So it. It's not particularly 1930s or – anyway, it's interesting that way. But so the people who work at the shop include George Novak, who is the hero. He's this like goofy assistant manager. There's Ilona. who's basically the female sidekick. Mr. Kodali, the suave villain. You don't know he's the villain yet, but he is the villain. And Sipos, uh, he's a middle-aged salesman, sort of like comic relief. Yeah. As well as this, there's a delivery boy and the guy who owns the shop, Mr. Marachek. A new chick enters – looking for a job and she rubs George George the wrong way instantly. Like they just hate each other on sight. We find out that the new chick, whose name is Amalia, has a pen pal who she calls dear friend who she's never met but she's falling in love with. Meanwhile, George also has a pen pal who he's falling in love with. It's the same person. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, Lots of mistaken identity ensues until the two main characters start to sort of soften towards each other and eventually fall in love. And like Amalia's like, oh, I can't really – You know, I've got this dear friend guy who I really love and I can't really get involved with you. Meanwhile, he has known for like two weeks that she's his pen pal and so then he finally reveals that he is dear friend and they live happily ever after. Some really great side plots include Ilona meeting an an optometrist at the library which is a cute, yep. I think that's just a great story. Um, the whole story being largely set around Christmas, that's yes. exciting. And it's
0: appropriate for this. It's appropriate. Yeah.
1: Um, and the delivery boy having some mad chops to perform a really tough number in the second act. Yes. Those are some highlights. Bam. It's just a delightful show. Like, it's really delightful. I'm going to go into a bit of detail as to why. There is a very random suicide attempt. That's right. That gets chucked into what is otherwise a really sickly sweet plot. Yeah. But don't worry, Mr. Marachek accidentally shoots himself in the arm instead of anywhere, like, life-threatening. Yeah. So it wasn't, you know... Because <clears throat> Shane, when we started watching it, was like, Oh, I just love feeling like nothing bad's gonna happen. We're just gonna watch this show. And I was like, Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> and then when he, when he would like, you hear the gun go, he's like, This is not what I expected. And then instantly, the next scene, he's like, He's fine. He's got his arm in a sleeping yeah, hospital. Yeah. Hilarious.
0: You yeah. only panic for like one moment. Exactly. Yeah.
1: I personally think that this show is the whole package. If you are looking for light entertainment, you could tell straight away, like Shane did that this show is not going to upset you or throw you any curveballs. Like it will, it will just continue on the way that you want it to continue on. Yeah. It will finish happily and there will be sweet moments along the way. And I think that's great. Like, yay. What sets this one apart in my opinion is the fact that although the story is really formulaic, the characters are surprisingly multifaceted. And I think the path to the two heroes falling in love actually feels quite plausible mm. and not forced and not stupidly, like, blindly romantic. Yeah. It's very human and realistic in that sense. And I love that the two main characters are just not traditional romantically. Yeah. It's like... They're funny and goofy and eccentric but lovable.
0: Yeah, like character roles. Yeah, they're proper the, character roles. Yeah. Like
1: they're not traditional. Like, And I was thinking more and more about it because it's like a, a lot of uh, musicals from this era are problematic in some ways. The characters in this are just not very problematic. No. Like apart from it being totally whitewashed. It holds up
0: so well though. So well. yeah. And, because, you, could,
1: like, and you could cast it.
0: diversely you you know like
1: you could yeah there's nothing really about it has to be white it's just traditionally been played white but like there's really the main character, the main female character, the reason why the guy doesn't like her on site is because of her personality and, like, the words. There's nothing about her looks or yes, about. Yes, yes, so like it, true. it's just so much more about the substance of the people than about anything else. Yeah. And I love that about the show. Yeah. The one sort of smarmy character instantly is, like, found out and just, like, shipped off. And they, like,
0: it's like they don't like those things but then they learn to, like, like each other it's as well. It's so realistic. Yeah, it's yeah. It's so,
1: like, you watch, a re- like, it really feels like these two people are falling in yeah. love because they're just spending time together and yeah. they enjoy each other's personalities eventually or, yeah. like, they just do nice things for each other. Yeah. It's also, like, a woman getting a job in the 1930s. True. and true. And, and not ever being talked about as if she's just a woman or... Mm-hmm. Like it's quite surprising in that way and I really like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: So some background. The producer, who would eventually share that credit with Hal Prince, whose name is Lawrence Kasher, was responsible for bringing Bock, Harnig and Masteroff on board for yet another adaptation of Perfumery. (laughs) So for context, the original play was from 1937. There was then a film in 1940 titled Shop Around the Corner. Oh, that's right. There was then a 1949 Judy Garland movie musical called In the Good Old Summertime. Oh. It was developed at a time when Bock and Harnick were working really consistently and prolifically. Like, they'd just completed The Body Beautiful. They'd just done Fiorello, for which they won the Tony and the Pulitzer Prize, as we mentioned. They'd just done Tandeloid and just finished Man on the Moon. So, like, mm. there'd been quite a lot happening for them. Um, so, development was really quick. The show opened on Broadway in 1963 at the Eugene O'Neill Theatre, where it ran for 302 performances. It was actually directed by Hal Prince in his second directing gig. Wow. After the pretty much flop, A Family Affair. And She Loves Me was also pretty much a flop. It lost money.
0: Really? Yeah. Wow. So
1: to paint a picture, the golden age ended in 1960. And I I think the taste for more modern musicals had definitely been established Mm, by 63. On top of that, this show is quite small. Like there's there's not many characters and there's not big ensemble numbers. Like there's no big showy song and dance numbers. And I think that went a big way to part of the reason why it didn't Mm. succeed. Um, I just think audiences weren't really keen on what we now know is different from a golden age musical. Like this show is much more advanced and much more progressive than a golden age musical. But I think at the time audiences couldn't discern the difference. Like they were like, this is just another small, sweet show. And that's where
0: I I think that's part of the reason it's held up so well. 100%.
1: So I think also part of the problem with the Eugene O'Neill Theatre is quite small. Yeah. It couldn't really house the large crowds that would have seen some sort of profit. So a cast recording was released. You can listen to that on Spotify link. um, And the show was nominated for five Tony Awards at the 1964 Tonys. It won Best Featured Actor, but none of the others. Okay. That was actually a big year. That was the year of Hello Dolly. Right. And Hello Dolly okay. won like everything. It yeah. also beat out Funny Girl that year. Hello Dolly did. Oh, my goodness. So it's a busy year. Big year. Big yeah. year, yeah. Um, yeah, I think Hello Dolly well, won Well, and Hello Dolly like, and everything. Funny
0: Girl are very different shows to She Loves Me very as well. Very different, yeah. yeah. It's
1: just a little bit They're yeah, much more modern. they much yeah, yeah, much showier. And that was the big thing I think mm. that year. Um, There was then a West End production in 1964 that opened at the Lyric Theatre and ran for 189 performances. You can also listen to that cast. There's heaps of cast recordings on Spotify. Oh, that's good. Um, So MGM bought the screen rights for the musical in 1967 and planned to have Julie Andrews star and Hal Prince direct in a movie version of She Loves Me. Um, Some changes happened... But the production carried on with Dick Van Dyke starring as George. Then in 1969, MGM was sold and this like huge restructuring of the movie studio occurred and the film got dropped. Uh, Like along with a lot of other productions. But that's a shame because that would have been really good.
0: Yeah, I don't know about Julie
1: Andrews as Amalia, but – Well, she's got the right
0: voice type for it. She's got the right voice, yeah. yeah.
1: And I love Julie Andrews. Yeah. Yeah. there was then this hiatus where no one really did anything with She Loves Me until Roundabout Theatre produced a Broadway revival in 1993. You can listen to that cast as well. That revival ran for 354 performances and starred Judy Kuhn as Amalia. Oh, I know. There was then a West End revival starring Ruthie Henshaw as oh, Amalia. Oh, yes. I know. Oh, God, I just cannot get over a woman who can do Amalia and Fontaine. I know. And both women in Chicago. I know. Ridiculous. Anyway ruthie henshaw the best so the production that i've seen uh like a pro shot of is the 2016 roundabout theater company revival so this is the second revival roundabout have done if she loves me right okay and that revival starred laura benanti jane krakowski gavin creel and zachary Levi. i know ridiculous
0: cast ridiculous um
1: this revival was quite a success yeah and for excellent reason although not super successful critically like oh really critics liked it but it just wasn't really like celebrated yeah also that was a pretty heavy year so i'm going to tell you about that um the uh uh, like a a version of it opened at the manier chocolate factory on the west end like straight after that roundabout right um revival so i want to talk about this revival because i think it's perfect yeah i think it is really perfect the cast is so bloody good even though shane doesn't like laura benanti's voice (laughs) um it's just so sparkly and funny and awkward and delicious yeah like it's just got everything you want the set is beautiful the costumes are stunning yeah each of those actors is like
0: astoundingly good it's
1: insanely good oh it's so and the i love the the orchestra are like up on the, in yes. the boxes yeah. on either side of the stage. So they, good. They do that a
0: bit, I think, with those roundabout yeah. productions. It's a, it's yeah. a lovely
1: touch. Um, so I, there is a pro shot, like I said. I highly recommend you track it down. Interestingly, this is also the first Broadway show to be live streamed on Broadway HD in 2016. Oh, right. Um, and that was a it was a really popular like live stream, yeah. it went really well. Um, I think that revival was robbed at the Tonys, although I will say it was just what it was up against. It didn't win Best Revival, although here is what it was up against. We had the Colour Purple, which won? Yeah. Fiddler on the Roof and Spring Awakening.
0: Oh, yeah, it's a strong year. It's a
1: strong year. It's also, it was also a tough year generally. Um, that was the Hamilton year. So in yeah, all the other categories, out. Hamilton won everything else. Um, yeah. And that's totally fair. Like Hamilton deserved it, Color Purple deserved it, but yeah, it's just tough because that production was so deserving. Although,
0: did it win what one best set that year? Because I know David Correns didn't win for Hamilton.
1: Could so have been I'm wondering she loves what me. Won. Yeah, I'll check. Oh, it could have yeah. been Color Purple though. That was a good. I'll look it up. Yeah, you look that up. Yeah. Um, there was an Australian production at the Hayes Theatre in 2018 yes. that was also quite celebrated. You saw that, didn't you? So yeah, so I saw <clears> both.
0: I saw that Broadway revival yeah. and I saw it at the Hayes that a few years later. And I think the Hayes the is one of my best, my favourite productions I've ever seen at the Hayes Theatre. Oh, nice. Like, honestly. But at the
1: Big Fish. I've seen,
0: like, more than 20 shows there, I reckon, at least. It's
1: Because it, it's such a small show. It suits that sort of small theatre as well, I think. Yeah. and um,
0: But what was amazing is I remember I saw it. Do you remember like we talked about the Sydney production that they had of Evita a few years ago? Yeah, the one at the Opera House. I ended up seeing that one night and then She Loves Me the next night and – there were some things that were good about that, Avita, but there was a lot that I had issues with. And then seeing this little beautiful show of She Loves Me that just put me in such a good mood. The cast was so good. and But just also doing that show in such a tiny space. Yeah. Oh, it was gorgeous. It yeah. was gorgeous. I like
1: that very much. Yeah,
0: I loved it. I it's really loved it. It's
1: just such a it. nice show. Like it's just...
0: Yeah, it's so heartwarming and it just puts such a big smile on your face. Okay, I'm trying to find. Yeah, yeah, it won Best Scenic Design. There you go. I think that's David all Rockwell. it won. Yeah, it but did. But
1: honestly, the set is so good. Oh, yeah. so beautiful.
0: Because oh. I remember that David Corrin's hadn't won for Hamilton.
1: Yeah, which is, I mean, most of you will have seen that set by now. And that Hamilton set is, is just fucking beautiful. So yeah. just imagine what She Loves Me must be. Yeah, exactly. Be. Um, so... All of the, like, uh, lots of productions that I've just talked about, all of this is to say that She Loves Me has found an audience now. Yeah. Like, certainly. I really like this quote from Hal Prince. Um, so he said, Until recently I tended to think of She Loves Me as a flop because it lost money. Um, but a work is not necessarily measured in its own time properly. Success is not measured mm. at the box office. The chances are if you work often enough, consistently enough, some of your best work will be underestimated. Some of your pro- poorer work will get by. If you work consistently enough, it balances out. And this is one of those ones that has really, that just has really found yeah, its Yeah. I,
0: I actually had no idea that it wasn't commercially successful the first time around because yeah. it does get done still.
1: Yeah, it really does. Yeah. And it, it's one of those musicals that doesn't need any adjustments. Like no. It's it's just beautiful as is. I do feel like um, there are times when the music is maybe just a bit repetitive or as Shane like to say, too much soprano singing <laughs> happening. But I love that it's a soprano lead. Yes, I agree. You know? I agree. Uh, I, mean, yeah. I mean, there's just not many legit sopranos who get a go. It's and also not that high. Like the it's not the crazy for
0: the, for the for the man. Um, man. Yeah, yeah, for George,
1: it's more like a high Barry. Yeah. Um. Although that character, um, Kodal, um, is it Kodai? Whatever the Kodali the Gavin Creel, yeah. the oh, Gavin yeah. Creel character. Ooh. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. Okay. So, some gateways. You do
0: need a good boy, though. You've
1: got to have a good boy. For the and delivery he's got to be. Yeah, oh, he look, can be a teenager, though, can't he? But, like he? I said, that number, the delivery boy number, he's like, he's such a minor character. And then he comes out and does that incredible. Yeah. You've got to be like a tumbler and a bit of a. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So, yeah, Gateways, I love the songs in this show. It's definitely one i do some skipping in, though, if I listen yep, to the yep. cast recording. They're just sometimes too sickly sweet for me to consume in just like the ordinary course <laughs> yes. of my life. But you should definitely listen to the 2016 revival versions of Vanilla Ice Cream, obviously.
0: Very famous song. Very famous Probably song. Probably the most famous song from this show. Definitely. Yeah.
1: I think then you should listen to Ilona, which is sweet Gra- Gavin Creole. And his perfect voice. Yes. And it's like a cool, it's got this like Hungarian sort of vibe to it. It's really great. And then I think A Trip to the Library, which is a really great character piece sung by Ilona. Yeah. um, That I love. I used to sing it at uni. It's a great song.
0: So, I, I love the song she loves me. I
1: love that song too. I feel like it needs another verse or something. It's like too right. short. It okay, finishes before I'm happy. For I also it thought to
0: Zachary Levi did a really good job.
1: Zachary, I think I'm in love with Zachary Levi. Right? Is
0: this was this the tangled connection this week? Is that how I you ended up there? I think that's what it there? was. Is yeah. that
1: I was I was just happened to be in a Zachary Levi spiral. Yeah. And like after watching him, because well, even Shane said last night, he's like, oh God, I hope his character comes back in Mrs. Maisel. Because yeah, he's that's just right. so good. He's such a charming. And like I was saying to Shane, I don't know if it's that character necessarily. I think it is. But it's also Zachary Levi. There aren't many leading men who are that funny and that sort of self-deprecating. Yes. But also being like traditionally handsome. Yes. Like he's, he's that sort of character actor who is... Who looks like a leading man, but also is a character. Yeah. Like, I could definitely see him in Promises, Promises. I could see him in How to Succeed in those non traditional lead roles. Yeah, it's that very
0: 60s kind of. Like, screwball sort of goofy,
1: but just in a way that isn't like, it's not, you don't sort of like, oh my God, another romantic lead. And Zachary Levi just captures that perfectly, I think. So, yeah.
0: Absolutely. I'm a bit in love. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. No, I really like the, yeah, She Loves Me. I really think it's just a, a really beautiful, happy show, which yeah. is not something we get a lot of. No,
1: that's right. Yeah. And I, I just like that and I like that it's not happy. You don't have to sort of make compromises with it. It's not happy where you're like, oh, it's a happy ending but everyone's a bit of a dick or it's really problematic or there's a bunch of racism yeah. or whatever. Like it's just a happy, yeah, a happy, not problematic Show
0: exactly, yay! Exactly, awesome. What
1: have you got for us this week? Today I'm going to be talking to you
0: about Hedwig and the Angry Inch.
1: Oh, nice! I can't believe we finally got here. I know,
0: I know. How has it taken this long? How has it taken you this long? Oh, and like I have to say, this has been one of those weeks where I'm just like, fuck, this is a good show. Like, you know, you're remembering (laughs) how good it is. It's it's such a good show. I
1: saw you. Were you reading the script? I saw it out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, I'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah. already owned the script and yeah, i was i was did. reading it and <laughs> so i think my first introduction to this show was probably seeing the film yeah i
1: was gonna say in
0: around maybe, i think we saw
1: it together oh you reckon i'm sure
0: so i reckon i saw it around 2009 2010 like definitely not at the movies like it wasn't oh no
1: i i feel like we had like we got it somehow and we watched it in like so a I house. Think, so i think our friend
0: shoe owned <clears throat> it yeah i think that's and right and i definitely saw it at his house like i remember watching at his house yeah and i enjoyed it but i don't remember it really becoming like a regular listen or anything like yeah. that at the time yeah. however i do remember falling in love with the song midnight radio which closes the show and that is something that i i remember that that was kind of on rotation for me after seeing it yeah but it was really seeing the broadway revival in 2015 that opened my eyes to what an amazing show it is and what a talent john cameron mitchell is yeah as a person the writer so he was playing i saw him play hedwig that's um, so good at the time and so he had injured his knee like he started doing his run he injured his knee he mentioned this and he had um knee surgery and then just came back into the show mm-hmm. so um he like basically continued his run straight away so he was like in a full-on moon boot when I we saw that. him in the show
1: you don't need to not be in
0: a moon boot though that's right yeah so he just sat down for a lot of it on a stool um, and sort of made lots of jokes about it and, you know, like about being the original cast, yeah. for example, like That's that was funny. a joke that he would make. And, you know, I've pretty much been obsessed with him ever since and And listening to lots of interviews and things with him this week has really only solidified that. Like, I think he's a genius. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. So I just want to preface it with that. So, um, so Music and Lyrics by Stephen Trask and a book by John Cameron Mitchell, right? So... Okay, I'm going to talk about the story, but considering it's essentially a 90-minute rock concert, there's actually a fair amount of story that you need to know.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: like it's funny. So we're watching we're watching the character. There's
1: nothing like it. it.
0: Nothing. It's just, it's so original. Yeah. It's so, it's not unlike any musical that you've ever kind yeah. of imagined. Not just
1: in content, but just everything about it. Is so original. So original, so unique,
0: so gloriously creative. Um, So we're watching Hedwig's, the character of Hedwig's rock concert and during the course of that concert we kind of learn about her life, right? So Hedwig is born Hansel Schmidt and grew up in East Berlin before the wall has come down. Uh, the Bolling World has come down. So Hansel falls in love with an American soldier named Luther Robinson who convinces him to dress in drag. They plan to marry so Hansel can escape to the West. However, in order to do so, like, the marriage needs to be between a man and a woman, right? So Hansel's mother, Hedwig, finds a doctor to give him a sex change operation and she gives him her name, um, like, to be as his, like, female self. Yeah. However, the operation is botched and leaves Hedwig now with a one-inch mound of flesh, an angry inch, as the as the name suggests. So, you know, in the lyrics of the song, it says where her penis used to be, you know, where vagina never was. Like that's yeah. the lyrics in the song. Um, the angry inch is also, by the way, the name of Hedwig's band in the show. Like that's the name of her band. Yeah, which I is love great. That. Yeah. So she relocates to Junction City, Kansas, with Luther, and he promptly leaves her for a man another man, and on the same night the Berlin Wall comes down. (laughs) So basically like all of Hedwig's sacrifices have been for for naught, right? She begins a relationship with an aspiring performer named Tommy Nossos and Hedwig really believes that Tommy is her soulmate, but he leaves her and goes, like doesn't want to be, thinks she's a freak basically Mm -hmm. and doesn't want to be with her and goes on to become a famous rock star using all of the songs that Hedwig has written for Tommy. Yeah. Uh, so during the actual what show. What a great guy. What a great guy. And like Tommy is kind of in the show. Like we're like next to one of his rock concerts. So every now and then you hear part of his concert coming through. Isn't and it
1: that she's like following she him, around, him around? She follows him around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like so he'll do these massive rock concerts and she'll perform Be like, like at a the diner next door yeah, or whatever, right. a dive bar. So during the show, Hedwig is assisted on stage by her. Very put upon husband Yitzhak, who is a Jewish drag queen from Zagreb, Zagreb. Is that how you say it in yeah. Croatia? Yeah. Um, so, and and just so you're aware, so Yitzhak is traditionally played by a female actress, but it is a male role, right? Yes. Um, so it is clear that Hedwig is jealous and threatened by Yitzhak's talent. And as the show progresses, Hedwig breaks down more and more, and at the end of the show, strips out of her wig, dress, and makeup, and you know, finally finding acceptance within herself, hands her wig to Yitzhak as like a symbol of that, who finishes the show in fabulous female drag yes. and just belting to the high heavens, yes, right?
1: that amazing song. Yeah.
0: So that's basically the story, right? It's so, so joyful. There's a lot of story for what is essentially just a rock concert.
1: But it's very clever the way that you find out those little bits. Yes, Like exactly. I find that really, yeah.
0: Exactly. So a bit of history about the show. So John Cameron Mitchell was interested in writing a musical that had Like real rock songs in it, and also had a band on stage. Mm. So him and Stephen Trask were friends, and Stephen was the musical director and band leader at a downtown New York club night called Squeezebox. (laughs) And generally, what was performed was drag queens covering rock songs in front of a live band. Like that was sort of the shtick of that club night. So in 1994, they started using Hedwig as a character who would do just that. So covering famous rock songs, often with the lyrics rewritten to tell Hedwig's story. So you know, like Fleetwood. Back and the Velvet Underground and things like this, but they would rewrite the lyrics so that it was sort of about Hedwig's story. And that evolved over the years with, you know, with them writing the original songs and everything and they performed at various clubs all around New York City as the show, as Sort of, we know it took form. Yeah. So the musical then premieres off Broadway, like gathers steam and premieres off Broadway at the Jane Street Theatre on February 14th, 1998. It closes on April 9th, 2000 after 857 performances. It's just
1: so, such a good news yeah. story. Yeah, it like, was like a massive
0: a, off Broadway hit. It was I love such that. a
1: cool yes. thing. Like the
0: Jane Street's a hotel, the yes. theatre's in the hotel. Yes. Um, apparently, so good. it's the hotel where a lot of the titanic survivors stayed after oh, really yeah like, like when in they the got ballroom back. Huh. and so they used to reference that a lot in the in That's the show a cool little which little i bit thought of history, was cool yeah um, so of course john cameron mitchell was the original hedwig like the characters created for him um, and miriam actress miriam shaw you might know if you watch the tv show younger yeah um played yitzhak it won the obie and the outer Critics circle awards for that off-broadway run It opens in the West End at the Playhouse Theatre on September 19th, 2000 and closes on November 4th, 2000. So obviously not a very long run. I couldn't tell much, but I guess it was not considered successful. I, I didn't really see much about it. Online that really talked one way or the other, but I mean that's a very short run.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, the f- there was so there was a film adaptation that was released in two thousand and one. You know that I mentioned that I saw some years later. Yes. And that was also directed by John Cameron Mitchell. Uh, it was very <clears throat> much a critical success, but unfortunately a commercial failure.
1: It's a great film.
0: It's a great film. Honestly, I highly recommend it. If you yeah. don't know Hedwig, that's a good introduction.
1: I feel like the film wall just wasn't ready for it. Yes. Like I think exactly.
0: That's a lot more... Well, for example, it's pre on rouge which as we talked about yeah, was um, like a
1: game changer for was a bit of a
0: game changer for musical prestige yeah. yeah um and it only grossed 3.6 million dollars having cost 6 million to Oof. make so unfortunately not a commercial hit it did however win both best director and an audience award at the sundance film festival oh wow that's and great and john cameron mitchell was nominated for a golden globe for his performance in the film uh so then but what, like I said, the, the thing that really introduced me to it, and I think the thing that really, I guess, made it mainstream in a way for a lot of people was this, so the very first Broadway production, mm. which was at the Belasco Theatre, beginning, beginning previews on March 29th, 2014 and running through to September thirteenth, two 2015, closing after 529 performances. Yeah, nice. So a lo- nice long run. So it was nominated for eight Tony Awards, that Broadway wow. production, and it won four. So it won Best Revival. It beat out the Lay Miz revival that was around. That's so like the Could sweet rum in revival yeah. and Violet. Yeah. You know, that had Sutton Foster in it. Yeah. Um, best leading actor for Neil Patrick Harris best featured actress for Lena Hall and best lighting design
1: yeah nice
0: so a little bit of background on the composers themselves so some people may know that before writing Hedwig John Cameron Mitchell was quite a successful Broadway performer mm. so you know he'd been Jack in the original demo recording of into the woods which I love I just love that fact um, he was Huck Finn in Big River on Broadway was and he was, and he was the original dickon in in the Secret garden Um uh production of that so he had also appeared in a number of movies and television shows throughout the 80s and 90s before Hedwig was born and then once he'd done Hedwig he basically quit acting yeah he was just he wanted to focus on writing and directing and other things he created some some people might know the film Short Bus Mm -hmm. um which was groundbreaking as it featured like actual sex on screen um which was kind of a real game like a a real groundbreaking thing that it wasn't like porn. Mm. It was just a film, but it featured real sex, yeah. right? Uh, and he also directed the film adaptation of the play Rabbit Hole.
1: Yeah, uh, Which right. starred
0: Nicole Kidman and she was nominated for an Oscar for that yes. role. Did
1: you see that? I
0: don't think I have.
1: I'm mm. not a big Nicole Kidman fan, but it was pretty good. Okay, cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. More recently he's returned to acting just in the last sort of five years or so. He was in um, in the TV show Girls, which I love, and he also is in the TV show The Good Fight, which is a spin-off of The Good Wife. Mm. He plays, like it's based on, um, is it Milo... Yiannopoulos is that the guy's name yeah the like awful right wing yeah Yeah. so he plays a character based on him yeah and also the tv show shrill which is excellent if you haven't seen that he's like quite a major character in that
1: I feel like he's one of those actors though where you like you've you've seen him in lots of things but he's like he's a bit of a chameleon and he doesn't have the sort of this sounds terrible he doesn't have a face that you really remember well
0: yeah and he's like like such a good kind of Character. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But you but he, were like, oh, yeah. It's oh, just yeah, interesting because it's
0: only really been in about the last five years that he started acting again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Stephen Trask. So, amazing fact about Stephen Trask his birth name is Stephen Schwartz.
1: No. Yes,
0: his real name is Stephen Schwartz. Huh. He took Trask, which. It was um, – his, hu- his now husband's surname. They weren't married when he took it, but um, he changed it many years ago. And, he, and I love this quote. So he said, in 1992, my manager at the time said to me, one day you will write a rock musical that will change the way everyone thinks about rock musicals. Oh. And when you do, your name can't be Stephen Schwartz. Isn't that amazing? I love that. So even cooler, I mean, it's he true. mentioned that since then him and Stephen Schwartz have met and um, he said, every now and then I receive a small royalty check of his and vice versa. It's never a lot of money so we made an agreement that as long as these checks are under $20, we'd let it slide. Oh, no! Nice. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, I love that. I love that. that. So he, Stephen Trask is also an accomplished screen composer and he wrote the music, including the songs performed in the film um, American Dreams.
1: Oh, yeah. With Hugh Grant and Mandy yeah. Oh, do you remember that film? I it's do. like
0: 2006 or so. Um, it's like a American Idol kind of ripoff, um, or like homage if you will. Yeah. Um he also wrote the scores for in good Company, um Camp, which is an excellent film if you have not seen Camp. It's a great film yeah, about musical theater nerds. Um The Dream girls adaptation, like the score, yes. the musical score to The Dreamgirls adaptation. Yeah, and uh, Little Fockers, the uh, oh, yeah. um sequel to Meet the Parents and Meet the Fockers. Uh so the the recent the broadway production in 2014-2015 recouped its budget of 5 million dollars in only 15 weeks. Which is, like, quite astounding. Shit. Yeah, amazing. It's made even more impressive by the fact that there was only seven shows per week, not eight, due to the immense, mm. you know, energy and performance oh, yeah, required by deal. the performer playing Hedwig. Mm. Uh, so I want to see... Is there an little,
1: alternate? Sorry? Is there an alternate Hedwig? No, no. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, there would have been... An, no, yeah, I don't think there was. <sighs> so of course well, Certainly not when less. Neil Patrick Harris was playing it. No, Maybe yeah. an understudy. But I don't know that there was an alternate. I didn't read of one. Yeah, wow. Um... So, some. I just want to talk about some of the people who've been in the show because there's, like an awesome. Oh yeah, sort of, there's a yeah. good. Um, so, in the original off Broadway run, John Cameron Mitchell was replaced first by Sweet Michael Cerveris, Yeah. and he also was the original Hedwig on the West End. Yeah, and he did the West End run. Um, and Such later a, on, good,
1: like diverse. Actor. Yes, exactly. Like, I wow. love that
0: it's like anyone can play Hedwig. Yeah. Um. Later on, um, the actress Ali Sheedy um <clears throat> replaced in the off Broadway production. She didn't get very good reviews, unfortunately. Yeah. Like I don't know if she was the right person for the role, but she was the first woman to play the role. Yeah. Um, in the Broadway run, uh, the Hedwigs were as follows. So Neil Patrick Harris, Andrew Rannells, mm-hmm. Michael C. Hall, sweet Dexter, Michael Ugh. C. Hall, um, John Cameron Mitchell, who I got to see, Darren Chris, who yeah. we've mentioned before, was on Glee and everything, and then Taye Diggs. Nice. That was, the, that was the run of Hedwigs.
1: Gosh, I would have loved to see all of them.
0: Yeah. I heard Tay Diggs was not great. Oh, that's Just a like maybe didn't quite get it. I
1: love D. Yeah,
0: same. I mean, he's very beautiful.
1: I would have loved to see Michael Seahawks.
0: Same. I think he would have been amazing. He would have been so And good. I think Neil Patrick Harris
1: would have been incredible. Oh, yeah,
0: of course. Yeah. Um, on the US tour, Lena Hall, um, so she played Yitzhak, Yitzhak yeah. um, and won the Tony for it. She continued playing Yitzhak. Uh, Yitzhak. It was her and Darren Chris on nice. the US tour to begin with. And then one show per week for a period of eight weeks, she played Hedwig nice. instead. So at that point she became the first performer to have played both parts. Yeah, basically. lovely. Uh, I love this. So the way that they set up that Broadway production was that the show took place on the set of a recently closed musical adaptation of The Hurt Locker. Oh, my God. So um, th- that was a 2008 film about the Iraq War. Let's
1: never have a musical adaptation yeah. of The Hurt Locker.
0: And they had, they had fake playbills made for this musical oh um, scattered around the set and That's in the so audience. Clever. And there's even a short number performed by Yitzhak called When Love Explodes Gosh. from the show. Because, yeah, it's
1: about, um like, Bomb detonators yeah. and yeah. yeah, they're
0: like bomb disposal yeah, people, yeah. right? And then I've seen the film, but years yeah, it's ago, it's a great
1: film. Um. And
0: in the sh- in the in that production, so Hedwig the character is being lent to the Belasco Theatre for a short run, as the Hurt Locker has just closed on opening night at intermission. Oh my so it's God. like, oh, the theatre's not being used for anything else, so they're letting me use it. That's awesome for this, yeah. Which is, I just love that. Um, fans of the Riverdale TV series will know that they do like Are a they musical. Fans of that? Yeah, I mean, I know people who love that show. Oh yeah. Have you? Ever... I've never watched it.
1: Yeah. I watched like one episode and I was like, oh, no, this is for teenagers. I think
0: it is. Yeah. I think it is for people much younger. So they do like a musical episode per season. All right. But based on sort of real musicals. Oh, cool. So this was – Hedwig was featured in season four, episode 17 – and that followed they did Carrie in season two and Heathers in season three. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so this there's a recording of them all doing the Heathers songs that's available on Spotify to oh, listen nice. to like they release it. Uh, I love that fans of the play and film referred to themselves as headheads.
1: <laughs> it's a great <laughs> that's fan awesome. title name.
0: Um, we've also discussed before but changes to the Best Revival Tony Award happened because of the that production. Yes. The Broadway production. So originally composers weren't included in the winning of the Best Revival trophy. It's the
1: producer, wasn't it? Yeah,
0: or? it's because like so some musicals are considered revivals without ever having done a Broadway run yes. previously if they're kind of considered well like in the popular canon. Yeah. Um and that's what happened in the case yeah. of this. So this meant that John Cameron Mitchell and Stephen Trask were never eligible for Best musical s- best Original Score, for example. Because
1: it wasn't, yeah.
0: Because it was it's considered a revival. revival yeah. um, and so that means that they haven't won Tonys themselves, yeah, which is so a shame. shame. So after 2014, the rules were changed. So now the composers are part of the Best Revival winners, whereas previously, yes, it was only the producers.
1: Yeah, that's tough. Yeah.
0: Um, so a couple of other talking points. So um, – I love so if you license this show you're allowed to play around a lot with it right which i always love, yeah, like, I love that too. we've talked about it a few times with different shows yeah like and blood brothers yeah and... it's a, and it's like if they give you very clear instructions about the changes the parameters and that, that yes, they're happy with exactly awesome. it's like all it does i think is foster creativity so i yeah. love that so as i mentioned i was reading the script this week and so the script essentially reflects the broadway production that like neil patrick harris was doing um and so it's they literally are like it's kind of a reflection of one night of that show you know, like yeah, it's like not really, it's there not- was improvisation that took place. Like obviously when I saw it with John Cameron Mitchell, there's a lot of different things, yeah, you know. Bet. But they have this note, this author's note in the script, which I loved. It says, the play may be set in the present or past at director's discretion. We feel that every production should be site-specific so that the character of Hedwig is actually performing in and commenting on the space the production is occupying. Love that. Feel free to change the text to accommodate the environment. The authors simply require that the changes be hilarious. Oh. Don't you love that? I love that. I fucking love it.
1: That's like um Bill Finn's uh, note in like Spelling Bee. Yes. Similar sort of yeah. yeah.
0: It's like we would really prefer that you we've done this version yeah. so that you can um so that schools can do it. But That's like right. Don't think do this the show is if it's not appropriate, <laughs> you know. I
1: love it. It's so good. That's great.
0: I love a hilarious author's note. Anyway. Hmm. Um, so we briefly discussed a few weeks ago the announced Hedwig production that was due to take place at the 2021 Sydney Festival. Yeah. It was a spotlight um, about a month ago. So and I'll just sort of recap very briefly what happened. So essentially a cis male performer was cast as Hedwig and the trans and non-binary community in Australia really felt that that was an issue. Um. In particular, because there'd been no consultation nor a willingness to consider mm. performers who were not cis males in the role mm. and, um, or to like get any sort of consultation with um experts in the field or anything like that. So, mm. in the end, there was. A backlash and that production was postponed. Yeah. Right. So I've obviously l- read a lot about this issue this week, not just with that production, but just in general. It's, yeah. it's because the trans and non-binary community <clears throat> yeah. have really embraced this show as feeling like a representation. Yes. Um, of Even their community and it's a
1: cis man. Performing. Yeah, that's right.
0: So like traditionally, it has always been played by a cis man, yeah. right? Like, or, or sometimes a woman, but not yeah. really anything in between, unless. Yeah, certainly not that I've seen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So John Cameron Mitchell has actually talked a lot about how he does not consider the character of Hedwig to be trans. Yeah. But really that's because her sex change was not of her choosing but forced upon her. So it was literally gender reassignment rather than, you know, how we now often refer to it as gender affirmation surgery. So that is the reason that he doesn't feel that it is um, a trans character. And the show – was also definitely written before we had the mainstream awareness of the trans and non binary communities yes. and the tools and language to best represent those definitely, on stage. Yeah. So I don't think we can say that the way Hedwig. I, I don't think we can say the way Hedwig has to be cast, right? No. But what is clear is that like so many shows we've discussed, you know, over the last few months, all that is being asked of producers is for marginalised voices to be heard, yeah. to be consulted with and to be represented in the production, right? Yeah. In the case of Hedwig, I think that means you audition everyone. Yeah. I think no matter the age, gender, ethnicity, anything. So, like, for example, in in that production, um you know John Cameron Mitchell was 51 when yeah. he played Hedwig but Darren Chris would have been in his 20s yeah. right you That's know like right. you have this huge scope of it's not just about yeah. it isn't just about gender it's about so many things that yeah. that can be uh Hedwig and he always talks about how Hedwig is is us <laughs> you know she is all of us she is everyone yes. she is a gender of one you know like uh talks a lot about that mm. and how yeah Hedwig can be anyone right yeah. um so I think it also means that some sort of consultant is engaged if the performer is chosen does not themselves have a lived experience of what it is to struggle with their gender identity yeah I think that that's really important like so just as Hedwig has to struggle with that there needs to be some sort of consultation with someone else who has struggled with that yeah so um you know we hire dialect coaches and you know hopefully things like now intimacy directors and things so to me this just goes hand in hand with definitely definitely like even like John Cameron Mitchell has talked about the fact that you know, he's like, if I was growing up now, he would, he's like, I'd probably call myself non-binary. He's like, I can't really, he's like, he's like, I honestly can't really be bothered now to like Mm. change the way I talk about myself now now that I'm, you know, into entering into very much like old an older person. But that is how I would have identified myself yep. growing up. And he's like, and I applaud the way that people do that. And and that is what Hedwig is. Like not really represented anywhere on he calls it the binarchy. That's yeah. a term that he came up with as this. And and Hedwig as a show explores that a lot in terms of so literally she talks about man and woman, East and West. Yeah. Like these ideas of these be one thing or the other. Yeah. And and so many things, poverty or yeah. or um, you know, rich being poor, rich. Yeah. Yes, exactly.
1: It's, and What I love about the show, which is what you're saying, is that it it explores the grey in life generally. Exactly. And it it lives entirely in grey. Like there are no absolutes in this show and that's the beauty of it, I think. Exactly.
0: Exactly. I think so too. Yeah. And I have to say, I'm I'm about to talk about the cast recordings and the music that's available, but like it's also a fucking Bitching show like oh, it's great The music is yeah. so good If
1: you didn't Like if it wasn't addressing issues That I feel very strongly about And it wasn't so well written It would still be an awesome show That's Just right. for the music on its own It's
0: literally just like An awesome it's rock just a concert a show Like yeah. on top of all of yeah. these Amazing themes Yeah that, it is. And themes that it explored yeah, so long before the rest of mm-hmm. the world was sort of due, like yeah. ready to talk about them in the mainstream. And like we said,
1: so creatively. Yes, Not exactly. In, there's no preaching. Like there's really no sense that you are trying to be persuaded it's, to anything. It's so funny. Yeah. I can't tell you
0: how funny the show is as well yeah. and the way that it's so tongue-in-cheek yeah. and, and everything like that. Yeah. So so the recordings that are available to listen to on Spotify are the original cast recording, yes. you know, with John Cameron Mitchell, They're the film soundtrack, which is um, like a few of those have – slightly different songs and things like that. It's recorded slightly differently. Then there's the original Broadway cast, which is Neil Patrick Harris, Mm -hmm. which, again, I – Like when I've linked my Gateway songs, I have gone with that um, version just Just again. It's more modern. It's um, Neil Patrick Harris sings the fucking shit out of it. It's great. Uh, There's the original Australian cast recording on Spotify. So Iota and Blazy Best uh, were Hedwig and um, Yitzhak. I would have loved to have seen that production. I know it did really well in Australia. Um, And the Riverdale cast recording I've linked to as well. That's great. So some gateway songs. So the first one I've listed is an amazing song called The Origin of Love. Mm. It's the first it's song. It's pretty much the opening, in, isn't
1: it? Uh, yeah. No. Well, no. Well, just sort of like uh, the first time you start with the story of Hedwig. Yeah. Really, right? Well,
0: so it's, it's actually a different. So it's the story of. Plato, like from Plato's Symposium of the Origin of Love Myth, of how, you know, um, this idea of like how we're ripped apart and we're always trying to find the other half of ourselves in life. And it's it's honestly like just an incredible standalone story song Mm. in a way, like in the way that we love say with like Jason Brown and stuff yeah. like that. Like it is kind of that. It it's is. just telling a story on its own. And I know a lot of people who've like had this at their weddings yeah. and things like that. Like it is a beautiful story about love and about, you know, the idea of finding a soulmate and things like that. So I definitely recommend that song. Mm. Um I'm recommending Sugar Daddy, which is uh, just an awesome rock song. Um, Neil Patrick Harris did it at the Tonys if you want to watch a video of it and just like made out with his husband halfway through the song in the audience, which I just love, like on fucking CBS, you know, that he was able to do that. And then, of course, Midnight Radio, which is the finale of the show, which is, again, like honestly one of my favourite songs in the whole world. Beautiful. It is such a beautiful song and it ends, as I said, with it starts off its its Hedwig singing and then it ends with Yitzhak just – Belting the fucking shit out of it. And yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. So yeah, that's Hedwig. Oh,
1: that was lovely.
0: I fuck. I love this show. I
1: think I forget about Hedwig sometimes. Right? Yeah. And I don't know why. Yeah,
0: I know. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And I just I honestly think everything that it was exploring was so ahead of its time in a lot of I mean, I guess it maybe it wasn't in like it wasn't you know, where we needed to be. The gay culture was, in yeah. New York City, obviously. But for, you know, sheltered yeah. little Central Coast Australia. Oh,
1: that's right. Definitely
0: way ahead of its time. I really
1: like, what's the, it's like a, the title song, isn't it? The Angry Inch? Yes. I love that song. Yeah. But very lucky. Like, there's like so many good. Wig
0: in a Box is an amazing yeah, song. Wig in a Box. Wicked Little Town. Like, it has got so many goods. And yeah. It's not a very long listen. Like, the whole show is 90 minutes with no intervals. So mm. there's only about, I think, 40-something minutes of music. Yeah,
1: it's infinitely consumable. Yes. Yeah. If they're like...
0: These songs could be hits on the radio. Like, Definitely. It's so good. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, that was nice. Thank you. Thanks, Ruthie. No worries. Well, uh, should we do this again next week? We should. Okay. Well, As always, we will. And listen to the mixtape on Thursday. Yes. Follow us on Instagram. Send us stuff if you want. Yeah, do like, it. Not the actual things. I mean, like, you know, comments or talk <laughs> they can to us send about us things. physical things if they want. Sure.
0: Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll see you then. Yeah. Bye. Bye.